Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of First Chronicles. The Old Testament book of First Chronicles and chapter number 22. The book of First Chronicles, chapter number 22. Now those who are looking for it, remember we have the books of the Bible in order. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we come to the historical books. Judges, or Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So in the New Testament, the beginning part, we come to the book of 1st Chronicles, and we come to the book of 1st Chronicles in chapter 22. Now remember that we start with the life and ministry of of Solomon, we have to look at David, his father, and that we've already witnessed that God had given a promise to David that David was going to have a son, and this son was going to fulfill David's desire to build the te- the temple. Right now, they have the tabernacle, which is a a temporary dwelling place that was made to travel around. Well, now that the kingdom's been established, the idea is that let's build a place that's not temporary, but rather something that's stable, that's permanent. And David was told that he was not supposed to build it. But that's not going to stop David from preparing Solomon to succeed in God's will. So with this, notice with me in 1 Chronicles 22. 1 Chronicles 22, and notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 1. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel, and he sent masons to hew wrought stones and build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the joinings, and brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance. For the Zidonians and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon my son is young and tender. And the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. Of fame and glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man 
of rest. And I will give him rest from all of his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. And he shall build a house for my name. And he shall be my son and I will be his father. And I will establish his throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now my son, the Lord be with thee. And prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, and give thee charge concerning Israel, that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then thou shalt prosper, if thou take heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not nor be dismayed. Now, behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, and a hundred thousand talents of silver, and brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Tender also and stone have I prepared, that thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber, and all manner of men for every manner of work. Of the gold, the silver, the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. And David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord." And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter number 22? The book of 1 Chronicles chapter 22, and notice with me in verse number 5. 1 Chronicles 22 at the end of verse 5, notice what it says. David prepared abundantly. David prepared abundantly. And with the Lord's help, we want to take this message and make it applicable to us on an anniversary Sunday. David prepared abundantly. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God and thank you for the great privilege to be in your house. Thank you as we now take the time to examine in history what David did to prepare for Solomon to succeed in following your will. Help us to look at it and also draw an application for ourselves that we can prepare ourselves abundantly to help this church move forward, to help this church to continue on for a long time after us. We're asking that you would just give us wisdom, help us now, Fill me with your precious spirit. The best I know how I surrender my thoughts, my goals, my voice, my health. I give you my ambitions, my goals, what I want to get accomplished. I give them all to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. That you would get your own work accomplished today. And that you would do something tremendous as we put our eyes on you. Get the glory and honor from everything that is done. In your name we pray. Amen. Now David knew 
that it was not his job to build the temple of the Lord. This privilege was going to be passed on to his son Solomon. But even though Solomon was going to do the building, it didn't mean that David could not sit and do uh, couldn't do anything. David set his heart to prepare for his son, for the next generation, to succeed in the things that he was not able to do. David could prepare Solomon to do the temple, to gather some of the supplies, to gather some of the materials, to set aside workers, to do everything he could to give Solomon an advantage to succeed in God's will. In any ministry, even in the Bible, it is common that the person who was tasked with a job was not the one to finish it. That finishing work came in that next generation or the person to follow. For example, let's start with Moses. God had given Moses the task of delivering the people from Egypt, leading them to the, through the wilderness, and bringing them into the promised land. Now class, did Moses make it to the promised land? He did not. However, his work was fulfilled by Joshua. And by the way, how long did Moses train Joshua? 40 years. And he trained him so well that the people easily accepted Joshua as the next leader and followed his commands and his leadership. And they accomplished the goal that God had originally given Moses. That Moses was given the task. It was fulfilled in the next generation through Joshua. Well, let's take a different one. Let's take Elijah and Elisha. There were three specific things that God pulled Elijah aside and said, I want you to do this, and I want you to get this accomplished, and I want you to get this done. Well, you can already tell where the story is going. Did Elijah get all those tasks accomplished? No. But they were fulfilled in his apprentice, his protege, his student of Elisha. And Elisha was the completer of Elisha's work. And we could see Elisha, Elijah spent a lot of time preparing and training and equipping and instructing Elisha to fulfill that job. Even in the New Testament, we see this fulfilled. You would see Paul, who was instructed to start churches. But Paul would not uh, be there the entire time. He would start the church. He would lead people to the Lord. He would begin to disciple them. He would work with them for a little bit. And then he would go to start a different church. But he just didn't live, leave them abandoned. He would leave a Timothy or a Titus or another one of his preacher boys who he trained to finish the work and they would raise up and finish discipling people and they would raise up pastors from that local congregation who would oversee the church then they would go catch up to Paul and finish his work somewhere else. That's why Paul was able to start 180 different churches. Because he started the work, but he had people that he had trained and prepared and set up to succeed who would complete and finish his work. Does that make sense? Now for us, for our church, we have things that we believe the Lord wants us to accomplish. Now we're still a young church and we're young in a couple different ways. We're young first of all in age. This church is not a hundred years old. It is a young church. We're also young in maturity, meaning that many, most of the people in here have 
you've been led to the Lord since I've been here. There's some of you who are saved afterwards. There's some of you who are saved uh, earlier than that, but now you've made a decision to follow the Lord. And we're young in maturity. We're young in spiritual growth. It's easy for people to jump right in, but we're growing and we're maturing. But it's going to take time for us to be a fully mature church spiritually. But... God has also given us things to do. We have a desire to see churches started in everywhere we go. We'd like to see every village in Green Bay to have a church like ours. So whether it's Ashwaubenon or Bellevue or Alway or Green Bay Downtown or Green Bay East, Green Bay, whether it's Howard, Swamico, De Pere, De Pere West, we want to spread out to even to the Appleton out of Gaming County. We want to see a church in Black Creek. We want to see one in Kimberly. We want to see one in Little Shoot, Grand Shoot. We want to have more churches like this in Appleton throughout it. We want to see it spread all over the place. Churches like this we have no desire to be a mega church where we're running thousands. We want to be a church that's manageable, that's continually seeing other churches start. And that takes time and that takes maturity. And we look at that and say, how can I do that with how old we are? We're setting up the future so the church has the same plan, the same vision, and will complete the work that we start. This is where we're getting the message today as we're trying to apply as it's our anniversary Sunday it's just serendipitous. It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he lined up the messages for the right time, the right place. So that way we could look at the future. That the greatest days of the Riverview Baptist Church are still ahead. And it, we are setting up things for the future for this church to succeed past us. That there should be no reason that if I was to die that the church stops. The church should be set up and organized and prepared so they will succeed and continue to advance forward in what God's given us to do even after I'm gone. That we don't miss a beat, that we continue on, and that they're trained, they're prepared, they have things set up. So with that in mind, we're going to look how David prepared Solomon to succeed in what God had given David to do through Solomon. And how we could do the same things in application that we could prepare ourselves to succeed in God's will, even if they are finally fulfilled and accomplished after us. So if you don't mind, let's look and see things for ourselves. First of all, we see that David prepared knowing God had a plan for a son. David had prepared knowing that God had a plan for a son. Having God's will is a very big deal. And if God had said to David that I have a plan for Solomon. Solomon is going to have this accomplished. That means there was a direct will for Solomon's life. David prepared. God has something for Solomon. I'm going to prepare Solomon to know what God's will is and how to follow it. David prepared knowing that God had a plan for his son Solomon. Notice if you don't mind as we examine this. That first of all David taught Solomon that God had a plan for him. David taught Solomon that God had a plan for him. Notice with me verse 6. Then he, that's David, called for Solomon his son. And charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. So what does David tell him? Verse 7. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house 
unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars and thou shalt not build a house unto my name because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man unto rest, and I will give him rest of his enemies round about. And his name shall be Solomon, and I will give, great pe- give peace and quietness unto Israel in his day. And he shall build a house for my name, and shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom for Israel forever. So here David pulled Solomon aside and said, let me tell you, Solomon, There's a will for God in your life. There's a reason that God has chosen you to be king. Out of all the kids that I have, God wants you to be king. God has a plan for your life. There is a good, perfect, and acceptable will for your life. And you can know it. And let me show you how. So David went and taught Solomon there was a purpose for his life. You know most people are looking for purpose. But God has a good perfect and acceptable will for each one of your lives. And he has a good and perfect will for this church. There is something that he has created you to do for God's kingdom. There is something that God wants you to do. And if people are going to accomplish something even after us, we have to start off by teaching them there's a plan for your life. None of you are a waste of time. None of you are a waste of space. None of you are an accident. Now, you may have been surprised to your mother and dad, but you were not a surprise by, to God. He had a plan for you. You were created with a reason. There's a reason why you exist, and you can know God's will for your life. In fact, that's one of the things that we love to do here is to work with people and teach them how they could find God's will and let them know that God has something for you to do, and you can discover it, and you can do it. There is a plan for your life. A second thing is David is teaching him that God had a plan for his son. He said David taught Solomon that God had a plan for his life. Second thing is that David taught Solomon to know God personally. David taught Solomon to know God personally. Notice with me verse 11. Now my son... The Lord be with thee and prosper thou and build the house of the Lord thy God as he has said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord. Then thou shalt prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord hath charged Moses, concerning Israel, be strong and of good courage, dread not, nor be dismayed. So, as he talks to them, he says, listen, God not only has a plan for your life, but in order for you to know it, you first of all need to know God personally. Do you know that you can have a personal relationship with God? You can have a personal fellowship with God. And God wants you to know it. You say, preacher, how can I have a personal relationship with God? Well, that's a wonderful question. To start that off, we have to use some logic. First of all, we say that heaven's a perfect place. That's why we want to go there. Up in heaven, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. It's perfect. But what really makes heaven worth going there? 
What makes heaven worth going there is because God is there. And everything that we know about God according to the Bible is that he is described as holy, holy, holy. That word holy carries the idea of perfect. So we could say it this way, that God is perfect, perfect, perfect. But the problem is, dear friend, is that none of us are perfect. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that in order to be with God up in heaven, the qualification is to be perfect. But unfortunately, we've all missed it. For example, let's illustrate this. I'm a pastor of a New Testament church, but I've told lies. How many of you ever told a lie before? Raise your hand, right? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. We've all, we've all broken God's law. Well, let's try it differently. I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a preacher, but I've disobeyed my folks. How many of you have ever disobeyed your folks before? So what we're admitting is that we're all liars and we've all disobeyed our folks. We have broken two of what God calls the Ten Commandments. God has given ten rules of holiness, ten standards to show how we match up to God, and we've all missed it. We've all come short. Every single one of us. It doesn't matter if you're a little child or you're a senior saint. Every single one of us have messed up. You said, well, that's bad news. Unfortunately, the news gets worse. The Bible says that because we don't deserve to go to a perfect place, we actually deserve to fall short of that. We deserve not to go to that perfect place. Instead, we have to go to an awful place called hell. God created only two places to go when we die. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell for a single human to go there? God created hell to punish Satan and his demons. But man goes there by default because there's nowhere else to go. If we don't deserve to be in heaven, then we deserve to be separated from God. That's the only place to go. You said, preacher, that's really not good news. But here's what the good news is. God finished off the verse in Romans 6.23, For the wages of death is, for the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God didn't want to see a, a single person go to that awful place called hell. So what Jesus did is that Jesus robed himself in flesh, came, came down on this earth, and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. He was buried on a borrowed tomb, and then on the third day, Jesus rose again to live forevermore. When he died on the cross and rose again, he proved two things. He proved, first of all, that he was God. And he proved that the payment that we owed God was satisfied. It was paid off. It was paid in full. Now all we have to do is accept that free gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you were to be given a gift, Christmas is right around the corner, if someone gave you a gift... You would take it and open it. That's what makes it yours. You didn't have to pay money for it. You didn't have to mow their lawn. You didn't even have to be nice to them. All you had to do was receive it. The same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't have to help little ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things we ought to do. But the only thing that gets us to heaven is that Jesus paid our payment and we personally accepted that gift. We personally allow him to pay that payment for us on our behalf. When that happens, we now can have fellowship with God and a personal walk with him. 
When that happens, now God can communicate and direct us in his will. So remember, we're talking about that there was a will for Solomon's life. Now David's saying you need to personally get to know God so you can have the basis God can tell you his will. You can know for sure. If you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, you know for sure that Jesus paid that price for you, then you can have a personal walk with God. And God can tell you what you're supposed to do and guide your steps. Which brings us to a third thing under this main point. That David taught Solomon to seek God personally. That David taught Solomon to seek God personally. Notice with me in verse number 17. He's talking, David is now talking to the princes of Egypt to help Solomon. Notice verse 19. Now seek your, now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord. Now notice what he said. Set your heart to seek God. God made a promise over and over that if you sought after him, if you seek God, that God will be found. You say, how does this work? Well, some people believe that when you seek God, it's always like God is always hiding. That when you look around the corner, you just missed him. And you're always looking and you can't find him. That's not the hide and seek that God plays. How does... God hide and seek. It's almost like when my kids were small. I have three kids and when they were small, what would happen is that we'd say, all right, daddy, let's play hide and seek. Okay. Dad, start counting. One, two. And my kids were so close that they never did anything apart. They always had to do things together. And so you'd hear a patter of each foot. And they'd go in the same direction and pushing each other. Stop, stop. <clears throat> so eventually they would go hide wherever they would hide. All right, 99, 100. Okay, let me see if I could find you. And I would go into the bedroom. All right, kids, are you in here? And you can hear little giggles under the bed. <laughs> All right, let me look. Are you in the closet? Oh, nope, not in the closet. <laughs> All right, are you in the bathroom? Oh, not in the bathroom. Oh, they must be somewhere else. I'm going to go look somewhere else. And you hear a little voice. Look under the bed. Look under the bed. Oh, dad, you found us. When my kids were that small, why did they hide? Because they wanted me to put forth the effort to find them. God orders us to seek him because he wants us to put forth the effort to look. And as long as we look for him, he will be found. He just wants us to put forth the effort. He is available. He just wants us to look. And so if we want to find God's will, if you want to find what God has for you in his life, the thing is to find him. And when you find him, he'll tell you what to do. You just have to look. And you could be taught how to look. And we could teach you from the Bible how to look in God's word, how to look for him, how to let him direct your path. But part of that, if we're going to train another generation to do what God has given us to do and to continue in that work, we have to teach them that, first of all, God has a plan for them. We have to teach them that they can know God personally. And we have to teach them to seek God personally. If we're going to continue on and do a good work, by the way, it doesn't have to wait for the, gener the next generation. You have a purpose in your life. And you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you can be taught how to seek for God, to find God's will. You see, this is important. People should not be working in church because this is what pastor told them to do. 
People need to be taught how to look for God for themselves. And by the way, God's not going to tell you something different than he tells me as the pastor. But if you're looking for God and find God's will, and I'm looking for God and find God's will, people will serve together, not because this is what pastor told us to do, but we're all convinced this is what God has given us to do. And they'll do it with a better motive than because they have to or because they feel that they should. They're doing it because this is what God has given us to do. This is what makes a powerful church. That it's not pastor ruled. All right, you do this. This is what we're supposed to do. Pastor led carries the idea. I teach you how to look for God. I teach you how to seek for God. And we seek God together and move forward. This is what God's given us to do. It becomes a lot more powerful. And that motivation stays there rather than dries out because you're mad at pastor. This is what makes a powerful church and this is what makes a church that continues. How it continues to move forward even if pastor was to die. If pastor was to die, the church says, no, pastor didn't just give this to pastor. God gave this for the church to do. We're pressing on. This is an idea that we need to prepare for the future and we start by teaching people how to have their own personal walk with God. And we move forward together as we find God's will. There's a second thing that we learn in this passage. Not only did David prepare uh, Solomon to know God, (laughs) had a personal will for him, but David prepared physical materials for his son to succeed. David prepared physical materials for his son to succeed. Notice with me in verse 1. Second, uh, First Chronicles twenty-two, one. Then David said, "This is the house of the Lord, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel." And David commanded together the strangers that were in the land of Israel, meaning non-Hebrew people, that were in the land together, and he set masons to hew wrought, wrought stones and build the house of God. And David prepared iron for abundance for the nails of the doors the gate and for the joinings and the brass in abundance without weight and cedar trees in abundance for the Zidonians and they of Tyre brought in much cedar wood to David. As we see here, David prepared physical materials. Building projects take lots of work. Much of the work has to be done before a single shovel hits the ground. That before you hit the shovel in the ground, you've got to have something to build with. And so David said, I can't physically build the house. But you know what I could do? Is I could get everything prepared. So when Solomon takes his turn, everything's already set up for him. He doesn't have to imagine what we need. We have warehouses full of wood. We've got store bins full of nails. We've got everything prepared that David has, or David has done everything he could to help Solomon, the next generation, succeed. And he tried to do it physically. David tried to take the load off of Solomon. He did everything he could to prepare. This is going to be a big deal. Now Solomon doesn't have to take the time to do purchase orders to get everything set up. Everything's already ready for them. Now to help the next generation move forward in a church, sometimes a physical building has to be acquired and built so the next generation doesn't have to worry about that. For example... For us, we have a desire to move the congregation back to Green Bay. Well, we want to do things. There's going to be things that have to be set up, permits, building, whatever else, remodeling. But you understand, if we do that work 
The next generation doesn't have to worry about getting another building. Now they can concentrate on just moving forward and reaching people now that they have the space to go. Now, we're, <clears throat> we're a small church and we have a smaller building. You know, it does not take a lot for us to fill up this place. Now, if we're going to reach people like we should, we need space to put them. We need Sunday school rooms. We need teaching rooms. There's physical space that we need. I meant we could get creative and put a van outside, have Sunday school class in a van, but that won't work too long. You know how cold it gets out here? I mean, there's, there's some physical things that if we truly believe that God has something special for this church, and I do, and I hope that you do too, there are things that we need to prepare so the next generation doesn't have to worry about it. If they have enough space, enough parking, all the permits done, and the building's paid for, isn't that a big deal, a big weight off of them? So now they just have to concentrate on moving forward and helping other churches get started that they put through there? That's a big deal that we need to start preparing for and start looking for and start anticipating and doing our part. Uh, I'm trying to say this is something we can do. That we're not building a building just so we can enjoy it and then when we die the building shuts down. That if we're going to put a lot of work into preparing a place for ourselves, we're trying to prepare a place that's going to be used for the next 150 years. Something that's going to last for a while. Something that's usable. Something that's prepared. Something that the next generation can continue to enjoy and be effective in reaching the ministry. There are physical things that we can do in this preparation work. Not only did David prepare physically for his son to succeed, David prepared financially for his son to succeed. Notice with me in verse 14. Then thou shalt prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged. Moses concerning Israel, be strong and of good courage, dread not, nor be dismayed. Now, behold, in my trouble I have prepared the house of the Lord for a hundred thousand talents of gold, and a hundred thousand talents of silver, and brass and iron without weight, meaning you can't measure it. And it has an abundance timber also and stone that I prepared prepared that thou mayest add thereto. Now let's pause. Notice this. A hundred thousand talents. A talent of gold was usually measured in an average man's weight. So a little less than I. But that's, if you had some gold that weighed as much as me, wouldn't that be a lot of money? Yeah. He had a hundred thousand talents of gold set aside. And then another bunch of money set in silver. What he did is he said, I want to prepare financially for the next generation to move ahead. I want to be financially things. The idea that <coughs> finances are always one of the biggest hindrances of moving forward. Remember, in this church, we, have, we don't have millionaires and we don't even have thousandaires. We have hundredaires, maybe some of us. We understand that you know in your own personal life, what keeps you from getting some things you want to get accomplished? Finances. Because you don't have the finances, there are some things you want to do that you can't do. Well, that applies even in a church. So, to be able to hand them a building that's debt-free and paid off, that's a big deal. You know, some of us who bought houses 30 years loan, you started immediately calculating, how old will I be when I'm finally done with this thing? Well, that's a wait. Especially when you don't know what the economy will do. Well, if we could help the next generation succeed by being debt-free, that is a big deal. Yeah. 
That's one less thing they have to worry about. They don't worry about if the bills are getting paid. What can we do with the finances that we do have to help move forward? So preparing financially, you know, using our finances wisely. Some of you heard this illustration before. There was a church that had been given a million dollars. And instead of spending all the money right away, what they did is they put the million dollars in a high interest um, savings account when they had such things and used the interest of that account to pay for their Christian school, the salary, and to make the kids be able to go for free using the money to work with them. They prepared wisely. They used the finances wisely. Just because you have it doesn't mean you have to immediately spend it. Sometimes you can invest in the future by doing wise things with it. There are certain things that we should be able to do <coughs> to help prepare so when I die, whoever's left isn't left with a big weight of finances. Does that make sense? So these are practical things that David, he's trying to keep help Solomon that Solomon, here are the physical materials. Solomon, here are the financial materials. He's even going to prepare the workers. Solomon, here are the workers. Here are people who could hew stones. Here are the people that could build. Here are the leadership that is going to go with you. Solomon, we're doing everything we can do to help you succeed in what God has given you to do. Now, if we believe, and I hope that you do, that this church, the greatest days are still ahead, that means we need to be investing in it. We need to be preparing people, reaching people, discipling people, teaching them how to follow after God, to go ahead and prepare for our future, be wise about the finances, try to have things paid off, try to have things debt-free so that's not a big weight. Never know what the economy will do. We want to try to set things up for the future so that way we can be successful and the next generation continues what we have started in reaching the world and taking their place in what God has given us to do. There was one more thing. David prepared for eternity for himself. David prepared eternity for himself. Now, what does this mean? That means that when we are investing here and now, we're investing in the future. Not just temporary future, but we're also investing in eternity future. Then when we training people for the ministry, by the way, in case you're familiar, not familiar with me, one of the big hearts that I have is to start a Bible college or a Bible institute where we're actively training men and women, boys and girls, to be in the ministry. Training missionaries, training pastors, training pastors' wives, training chaplains, training other people. When we're doing that, we're investing in eternity. People who are going to have spiritual results that are going to be added to our account. When we start investing and preparing for a school, we start preparing and investing for a church. We're not just investing in temporary buildings. We're investing our time, our efforts, our energy, our finances into something that will matter for eternity. That's a big deal. When we support missionaries, when we financially support the missionaries, when they lead people to the Lord, that's part of our investment. We're going to see that come to fruition when we go stand before God and give an account. That's going to be something that's not, going to, that's not just going to be for the here and now. So what we're talking about here is that we're not just working for ourselves until we die. We're not just working for ourselves so that our children can have somewhere they safe that they can go to church where they're going to be taught how to follow after God. We're also investing in eternity 
and it will matter. You never know what will affect. I meant to write all this down to trace this, but it starts with a Sunday school in the Chicago area. But this Sunday school teacher was taught by his pastor that he, as a Sunday school teacher, needed to go visit everyone inside of his Sunday school class and make sure that everyone in his class knew Jesus Christ as their personal savior. So a man by the name of Edward Kimball, you may have never heard his name before. He was never a famous preacher, never filled the pulpit, never had his name in lights. He was just a Sunday school teacher. And he went to go visit one of his students who happened to be a shoe salesman in Chicago. And Edward Kimball, just like most Sunday school teachers, how am I going to talk to him? How am I, I mean, he's an adult, but I'm supposed to. My pastor told me to. He was so nervous that he walked past the store where the shoe salesman was working at. He walked past it and almost talked to himself, well, I missed it. I better just go home. But no, no, I need to turn around and go. So he went inside of the shoe show, uh, store. You could hear the little bell ringle, ring. The student there was like, oh, how are you doing, Mr. Kimball? I wasn't expecting you to see you here today. Well, Mr. Dwight, let me, uh, I came here for a purpose to see you. Are you 100% sure if you die today that you go to heaven? No, sir, I'm not. Would you like to know? And there inside of a shoe, shore, shoe store in Chicago, a Sunday school teacher opened up the Bible and showed his student how he could know for sure that the student was going to heaven. And where Edward Kimball, you may not have ever heard his name, his student's name was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody who became a great evangelist. D.L. Moody who had his hand on leading someone else to the Lord who was another famous preacher. And again, I was supposed to write down the, the chain links who led someone else to the Lord who became a famous preacher, who led someone else to the Lord who became a famous preacher, who led Billy Graham to the Lord, who definitely became a famous preacher. Edward Kimball is someone who all of history may not remember who he is, but there's a lot in eternity who know who he is. Because this Sunday school teacher went out and just told someone about his class. You understand, those are the things that matter for all eternity. That we're investing in, in our Sunday school. We're investing in our church. We're investing in a future Bible institute. We're investing in the future. And not just the immediate future. But the things that we do will matter for eternity. Let me tell you, you are not wasting your time. And you're not wasting your talents when you serve the church. <coughs> you're not wasting your finances when you use it in helping this church move forward. But you're investing in eternity. So men and women, boys and girls, can come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Men and women, boys and girls, can make decisions to follow the Lord with their life. And that they can make an impact for eternity. That what we're expecting is that the greatest days of this church are still ahead. And we want you to be on board with it. That we want you to see what's going on. We want you to have the spiritual eyes. And understand that it is not a waste of time to be here this morning. And it will not be a waste of time to come back tonight. And it will not be a waste of time to give your tithes and offerings to the Lord. That God has some big things planned. And you could be a part of it. That you could be a future teacher. 
You could be a future Sunday school teacher. Many of you are going to be disciplers where you're taking someone and teaching someone how to follow the Lord. That your prayers are not wasted efforts. Your prayers are an investment for the future. And we're trying to invest in something that will not die when we die. But we're trying to invest in something and prepare it. Something that will last hundreds of years after we're gone. That the Riverview Baptist Church is still going to have an impact on our society. Because we're investing in the future. And it can be done. But every generation has to be taught. Look to the Lord. Follow God. God has a purpose. This is what we've given you to do. And we're just preparing our generation and the one to follow to continue to what God's given us to do. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.